Welcome to the Urbonus podcast, everyone. I'm the host, Donatos Urbonus, and this time I'm joined by my beloved co-host, Eric McCollum, who is coming off a five-game winning streak with Karshiaka Izmir, while Eric has been posting 20.2 points and 4.4 assists on average. So give him some love. Hi, Eric. Oh, thank you. I didn't even know that. I knew we had five-game win streak, but I didn't know about the statistics. Oh, he acting like he didn't know. <laughs> I, knew, oh. I just knew, I knew it was a lot of buckets oh, getting got. I didn't know how much, okay, though. Okay, okay. There, there we go. That's a better answer. And on the right corner, we have Mr. Showtime, top 10 in scoring in your league, top 5 in efficiency, Mr. Chima Moneke of Bosconia Vittoria. What's, What's up, up Chima? What's up, guys? Glad to be here for sure. We happy to have you. Or should I say of Partizan Belgrade? Because are, are we missing something? I saw something on the Wikipedia that now you're like Partizan member. Look, look, I went on like 30 minutes ago and I saw that I was a Red Star player. And then I refreshed <laughs> the page and it said I played for Bologna. So I'm going to check now and see what it says. And now I'm back to being a Basconia player. Let's go. Oh, finally. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Finally. I thought that your league transfer window, you know, got you uh, in the mix. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know I could get traded, so. But you, you're getting interesting love from Serbian fans. But at the same time, you just can't stay away from the spotlight when you face those Belgrade teams. Like the last time, it was a trash talk with Nunnally and Lide. Combined with some money sign after you made those uh, clutch free throws. <laughs> Now in the last game, Basconia is up by two. With like one second to play. If you make a free throw, you still leave them a chance to miraculously make a three-pointer to force the overtime. If you miss, basically the clock just runs out and you take the win. Right. So Chima is just rushing the free throw. He doesn't do his typical routine. He doesn't bounce the ball. He just throws the ball like a potato toward the rim. It hits the front of the rim. The ball bounces back directly to his hands, and the game is over. I mean, <laughs> that was a masterclass, really. Crazy. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> obviously I think I didn't play the, the 15 minutes prior to that. So, like, I was cold, a bit frustrated. And I came in, got the rebound. And when I was walking to the line, I was just thinking, man, I made two free throws to beat Partizan. And like now I'm in a similar situation with the other Serbian team. So the first free throw felt good. It went in and out. And I'm like, ah, sheesh. And then Vanya, Vanya Marinkovic, she came up to me. He said, miss it, miss it. And I'm like, miss it? I looked at the clock, 1.2 seconds. I looked back at coach. He said, miss it, miss it. And I was like, okay, how can I miss it where they don't get a chance? And I'm like, all right, let me just Steven Adams it. And... At that time, Mitrovic, he was down at the baseline. He was, he said, hey, hey, he's going to miss it on purpose. Be ready to come back. It's going to come back to him. And, you know, I just happened to do it perfectly. And I've never practiced that before. I did it the next day in practice, and I couldn't do it again like that. Did you hit the so backboard first? It was just <laughs> the first two times it's violation. Like, I just hit straight backboard. <laughs> And um, yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize how tough that is. And I learned how tough that was the next day when I tried to do it. Super difficult. When you did it and I was watching the game, I was like, I was like, oh man, he got he got yeah. a lot of courage because the first thing I would have thought, I might have missed it, but off the front win, like 
that was perfect. And like most people would hit the backboard probably seven out of ten times for on sure. that attempt. For sure, and, for sure, or graze it where it comes down. But and it shows you're selfless, good teammate. You know, a lot of people don't want to lose those points or those free throw percentage. Points. But hey, you said you said I'm gonna get my team a win. I like that. I like that. For sure, for sure. A couple, a couple of people. That had me on fantasy were upset by that. But I'm like, come on, man. If you guys are upset that I didn't score, I'm the one that's losing points and making me seem like a worse free throw shooter. So what do you think I feel? You also just keep Serbian fans upset. Uh, I remember the first time you got the victory against Partizan, I remember this random Serbian fan sending you a dozen voice messages on Instagram in Serbian. So, you know, being a Showtime player also has another side of the story. So, by the way, could you compare the amount of the messages you received uh, following Partizan and Red Star victories? Because what was interesting that a lot of, I, I think that even Red Star players were kind of protesting. And I saw some some fans on Instagram also complaining that you missed the free throw on purpose. So you should have been punished with the technical foul. And just in case, I double-checked it with the referees, and they said that there's no such thing in the rule book that if you miss the free throw this way on purpose, you you got a technical foul. So, I I believe that it just boosted another, uh, you know, sp- it was another spark of hate uh, for for Rester fans to to reach you out directly after the game. Yeah, it was it was both games was nuts. The attention that I got after both games was unreal. This one was a little bit more because, you know, the EuroLeague video is now the most viewed EuroLeague video ever, which is crazy to me. Um, But yeah, I think I saw something about it's a rule in ABBA League and they had an incident with Lesort. He was shooting a free throw and he missed it the same way I did and got his rebound and scored. They were down to and then they waved it off. So I think it's an Abba League thing, but for sure not a EuroLeague or NBA thing. Never heard of that before either. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Someone some, someone left the video. Like, you can definitely Google that because I saw that video. It has a definitely over 100,000 views, and it happened either last season or the season before. Okay. Wow. I never yeah. heard that before, so for sure we're going to have a look. Uh, anyways, I mean, Chima Waneke on the basketball floor is a is a lock for is a content material. Every time you manage to do something crazy, something spectacular, and you just make those games more entertaining and more, you give more reasons to watch those games. So I had this small special task for Chima to list his top three most fun or entertaining players to watch. I didn't made it in particular. Uh, to do it only for the EuroLeague or just in general, but of course it would it, it would be great if you could involve only players uh, from the EuroLeague if it's possible. Yeah, only EuroLeague, only EuroLeague for sure. Um, I think I'll start with with Mike James. I think honestly he should be on everyone's list just because you know the shots that he makes is just unreal and like playing with him, seeing how he works, like he takes all of those shots in practice you know there's no shot to him that's difficult and and for me it's not just about basketball that makes someone fun like I like you know the the, he doesn't talk trash too much but like he's competitive he knows the stage he looks at the crowd you know he he's a fan of the moment and he embraces it number two uh 
Faku, for sure, he's he just controls the game at a different level. And um, yeah, he's just incredible to watch the way he passes, the way he thinks of the game. Um, yeah, amazing. And then third, Marcus Howard, the things he's doing, the way, like, <sighs> I just have no words for it sometimes. And like, I'm on the court and most people, you know, don't react when you're on the court because you're locked in. But obviously I'm a little bit different. I will react every single time he does something amazing. <laughs> and it's every single game. Like the last game we played literally just yesterday, he was five for five in the second quarter, I believe, or in the first half from three without missing. And yeah, he's just special. Yeah, that that's a great list. And and of course, Faco, I mean, nothing to add about Mike. Everything is obvious. Faco yeah. is somebody who who makes the game, who makes plays who which I would say basically go beyond my basketball imagina imagination. Sometimes I cannot imagine things that he do on a basketball court with his passing abilities, with his floor vision. And you made a good point about Marcus because he's one of those few guys that I would uh, I would say that makes me laugh when I see him making those three-point shots because a lot of them are just incredible. Just just it look impossible. Uh, his, his shot selection, he the way those shots are contested, long-range shots. He just you know I, I express this kind of you know emotion watching him play and and for sure yeah that's that's a solid top three. Eric, would you have anything to to add? On that list as well, for me, I think um, you know it's a really strong list. Um, you know, I'm always a, always a fan of Mike James. Um, he's my favorite person to watch just because of the, not only like the the way he gets to his spots, you know, get double teamed night in night out, how he's always able to perform, but the level of difficulty. Like he's shooting shots that are so complicated. Like for even the average basketball fan, they can see that, but he makes it look effortless. So you know, anytime you watch that with that explosiveness, with that speed, you know, it's always enjoyable. And then, um, you know, I definitely can see, um, you know, Falcu, like the way he creates makes the game easier. Um, in Real Madrid, they're just like a, a well-oiled machine. Um, they're fun to watch the way the ball moves, um, how everybody's involved and all the weapons they have. Um, I always, I always like Marcus Howard as well. You know, I think he reminds me of um, Shane Larkin, um, smaller, explosive, really can shoot the three, you know, finds a way to finish at the rim, you know, which you wouldn't expect a guy, you know, of a smaller stature to be able to finish like that. Um, obviously, Shane's won championships. He's more established. You know, he's already proven it. But I think Marcus Howard, you know, is a guy who could be on that trajectory, you know, if he stays healthy and he continues to improve. Um, I guess if I had to add one more person I'd like to, to watch on that list, mm, if I choose an underrated person who I think is really good and a lot of people don't really talk about him much. I'd say Chris Jones. Um, from Valencia, you know, I think he he's nice. Um, play the pick and roll, can play ISO, can score. You know, I really enjoy watching him play as well. You know, just to pick someone that's not a a marquee name. That actually, that actually, you know, makes me very happy that you said underrated because that's something I wanted to tap into as someone who was not rated at all last season, and I still feel like I'm a little bit underrated. But I would like to talk about, you know my underrated players in EuroLeague, if we have time for that. For sure. The stage is yours, Chima, so. Okay, so I will go, I'll go three people. Um, I'll start off with Roland Smith. Um, and I thought this, when I played against him, when I was in Manresa and he was in Barcelona, and I felt like he just didn't make too many mistakes. And he was, 
he was just consistent and reliable, did what he did well, and now he's taking it to a, a different level. And I still think he can even do more with Zalgiris. So he's one on my list. He's one, one of them on my list. Number two, JB, John Brown, the third. I think he's as good defensively as anyone is mm -hmm. good offensively. Like he, he is, like he's special. Like he's really special on that side of the floor. You just, he just has things that you just can't teach. Um, I hate him. I hate everything about him. <laughs> he wears my goggles. He has hair like me. He think like, come on, man. But yeah, I, I love him. He's he's definitely incredible. And then the third person I'll say is Nigel Hayes. I mm, think nice. Another person that was on it was in Barcelona. He does not get enough credit for how consistent, reliable, durable he is. He's a good he's a good person. He's a good teammate. I've heard nothing but good stories about him and like I remember like some of the conversation that some of the people had about him when he was in Barcelona and wasn't playing as well. And it's just funny how people, what people say about you when you're struggling. And this is the Nigel Hayes that I'm sure he knew he was the whole time. And I'm glad he's getting some recognition, but I think he deserves more. That's a strong list, strong list. A lot of people sleep on, sleep it's good. on Nigel. That's a good pick. For yeah, sure. and, and on this list, I would add another Jalgiris guy, actually, and it's very unfortunate right now for, for Kona's team that he's injured. I'm talking about Arnas Butkavichus. He made his yearly debut last year, uh, and even in Lithuania, we were questioning him because he's, he's 92, it was his first EuroLeague season, he was playing on a lower level before, and we were not sure of what kind of player we're getting in terms of how, how valuable he might be in the EuroLeague. Uh, can he play big minutes? We thought that he's he's about to be a bench player, but he ended up as in my as one of the best defenders, uh, one of the best defensive players in the league. And we just mentioned Mike James and his greatness. Actually, Mike James played his lowest scoring games. Two of his lowest scoring games were against Zagreb. And I'm not saying I'm not giving all the accolades to Butkavichus. But he was the guy who was always trying to get under his skin. Mike scored like two points and six points in, in two games. So that was huge. And just I, what I've said after the last game in Konas, because Monaco played in Konas last week and Arnas just uh, went through the tunnel. He, he, he didn't play. I said that, man, Jargis was, was really uh, missing you because you were the guy who could at least contain Mike James. And he was just... He put, you know, he just played another amazing game. Scored maybe twenty five points. You know, became the third best all time scorer in the Euroleague, and you know, crazy. And then crazy. one more person I gotta add to the list. I think it's a strong list. Might as well make it. You know, five guys. I say Bonzi Colston. Um, you know, he's having a great year. He's averaging thirteen points, over six rebounds, almost a fifteen PIR. And you know, this is a guy who's getting it done. He can play the three to four. He can shoot it. Can stretch the floor. A good rebounder. He can play well off the ball. And there was a time when Wade Baldwin was hurt, and you know, Maccabi could have could have stumbled. You know, they could have had some issues. And he kind of rose to the occasion, um, helped Lorenzo Brown shoulder that load. Um, obviously, you can't replace a player like Wade Baldwin, but you know, he kind of negated some of that loss and helped them stay afloat and in that playoff zone and range. You know, until Wade could get back and. You know, as Wade returned, he's still playing at a high level and showing his value. So he's a guy I think um, is very underrated. And in only a second season in the EuroLeague, he's showing his worth. Agreed. Completely agreed. 
what is underrated to you guys? How do you understand being underrated? What it feels to be underrated? For me, number one, when you're underrated, usually you're underpaid. Um, not saying that you got to be in everybody's pocket, <laughs> but you have a job. You get paid paid based upon performance. So if you're performing at a certain level um, and guys in your position are making this amount of money and you're underneath that, that's one reason. Number two um, will be, you know, accolades, awards, you know, how many people are talking about you. Obviously, when you're established in the EuroLeague and you've played there for a while, your name garners more attention. You know, you're more likely to get, you know, a first, a second, a third team all EuroLeague, where if you're a newer guy coming in, it's a little bit harder just because you don't have that name recognition. Um, And then the third thing I would say um, would be, like, the respect. Obviously, when you're a guy who's played a long time in a yearly, you get more respect from the referees, more respect from the coaches, um, more pressure, you know, also comes with that. Um, but fans expect more of you. And if you have an off game or so, let's say you're a Mike James or you're a Faku or, you know, you're a Jan Vesley, they have a bad game. It's OK, because we've seen so many years of excellent play that everyone's like, it's all right. Like, you know, they just had an off day. They get another chance. Coach is going to give them. 28 to 30 minutes next game, everything's fine. But if you're a new guy who comes into the early and you have an off game, the first thing they say is, he's not used to this level. He cannot play at this level. This is mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. this level. This is not Euro Cup. This is not Champions League. This is not um, even this is not the NBA. This is not the G League. The first thing is like, you're not good enough. Um, it couldn't be that you just had an off game. So in my mind, these are the three things that make you underrated, undervalued, and underpaid. And until you establish yourself, you get space for a bad game. You get it paid appropriately for your position based upon your performance and your impact on winning. And you get credit from the coach. Yeah, those are fire. That's that's a fire list. The only thing I'll add is just, yeah, you're just just not talked about enough. And the players understand how good you are or how good you can be. And for some reason, it just doesn't, you know, you just don't get the recognition for it from other people. And yeah, I think all three of the people that I mentioned and the guys that you added are definitely very, very underrated, but you know, that's how it goes sometimes. I have, actually, I have a new EuroLeague award to introduce. It's a Chima Moneke award, the EuroLeague player that is in the box right now and has way more potential than his current role is. That's that's my reference to the previous year, the previous season that Chimomoneka had in Monaco, uh, where he averaged 3.9 points and 3.1 rebounds per game in less than 13 minutes. And now Chima is just just he he's the same guy, he's the same player, the same skill set, everything, just the different situation where he's averaging 15.4 points per game on 61% two-point shooting and 49% three-point shooting. Six Six per point four rebounds, including two offensive boards per game, one point six assists, one point one steals, twenty point one PAR per game. So looking like an all year minutes. Can you say the minutes? Looking like all. Can you say the minutes per game? Twenty four, I believe. Yeah, twenty four minutes a game. Yeah, that's impressive. That's I'm proud of that. That's what I'm proud of. Hey, that's looking. Hey, y'all getting those playoffs? That's looking like all year to me. I'm not, I'm not. It better be. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine. It better be. And I ain't saying, what? I'm not saying, you know, second team. That looking like first team with those numbers. Listen, <laughs> listen, team success is the most important. But um, I just think 
Yeah. Right now, obviously, you know. But, okay, I think the Chimo Award, I'm going to stay in Monaco with that and go with Jerron Blossom game. Mm -hmm. He's a good player. Because I think we forgot the numbers he was putting up in Euro Cup. Like, monstrous numbers. And he's another guy that's underrated and underpaid, too. Because what he did in Euro Cup, you know, I just think people forgot and see the version of him now. And, you know, they think he's just this version. But um, I think I don't know where where he's going to go next season. I don't know what he's going to do next season. But he's someone that can definitely be a starter in this league and contribute. And um, just, yeah, play at a much higher level because he's an incredible player. And, yeah, the Monaco system is for, you know, the guards, the creators. And everyone else has to fall in line. And, you know, last season he was like, if he didn't have a good, kind of like me, if we didn't have a good, uh, you know, first segment or whatever, you know, not coming back into the game. But he's accepted that role more. And now he's getting more opportunities. And then they play a lineup where it's like Alpha Diallo at the three, Jerron at the four, and John Brown at the five, where, like, they just cause havoc. And, yeah, they just – they bring a lot of different things on the court. And I think, yeah, that's my answer for the Chima Moneka Award. And I hope to see him in a bigger role next season for sure. And I like I like how you Find described the- that, Denonis, because you didn't say most improved. Because I tell people all the time, like, you didn't just get better in three months. That's all we have. Less than that. Two months a lot of times mm-hmm. in off season. So, months. like, maybe there's little fine things you can improve. But in two months, you don't become – a guy who was averaging four points at Monaco to a guy who's averaging 16, you know, on a playoff team um, in a year there at Basconia. So I like how you said that in a box. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, he's, it's, it's also funny too, because he saw me in Monaco during the playoff series. And for some reason he always had my back, Donatus did. And he always just said, you know, keep it up, like, keep up, keep up your head and just keep working. Your time will come. And then I remember I had the game five where I was huge for them, and you know he was one of the first people to c- congratulate me and all of that. And yeah, I was a little bit upset at him before the season started, though, because there was a topic that came up that was about players to break out this season, and he forgot to mention my name. And I met, I, I messaged him about it, and he knows, you know. So I, 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 I forgive him since well. then, but yeah. <laughs> but I, I really like how it kind of motivated you to have yeah. such a season. So I kind of feel like I did my job. You know, that was part of my job, you know, to keep you angry, to give some extra, extra motivation for the start of the season. It worked. It worked. Yeah, regarding that Monaco and Maccabi series, you know, just the game five showed that how much you can impact the game and that you can become a, you know, impact maker, game changer. So so it was just a short glimpse of what you can offer on the court. And just to add about Jerron, uh, as you mentioned, people for, forgot the numbers that he had before going to the EuroLeague. And in Ulm, in EuroCup, he was actually averaging 16.2 points, 7.6 rebounds uh, per game, almost 20 PAR. First team, uh, all EuroCup. That's right. And he was shooting from three, yeah, 42%. From two, it was 56. So these are solid numbers. And I saw that he switched ag- agencies. So maybe... He, he's preparing for some interesting. He's trying to season. make a Chima move. 
Something on the horizon. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you got, Eric? I actually think that's a good pick. Um, and if I didn't choose him, I was going to go with a teammate of his. I was going to say Diallo. Um, I think, um, you know, he's a really good player. I think he can emerge as one of the better um, up-and-coming threes. Um, to me, he's in that Will Clyburn type of mode. And, you know, he does show his ability. He shows his skills. But I feel like because they have such good guard play, he's not asked to do much. You know, when you have Mike, when you have Lloyd, you know, you have Ellie, there's so many creators, so many people who can get things done. I think, um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, with giving more responsibility, probably on a team that doesn't have so much foul power in the backcourt, I think he can show you some things. I agree he can play. I, I agree he can do more. But no, 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 no. He's not in the box. He's not in the, box. <laughs> the box that I the box that I was in. Oh, you was in jail. Alpha, I don't accept you, that. You was in jail. I was, you was a prisoner. <laughs> they won't let me. Out. Oh yeah, no. So Alpha, Alpha. I don't know what minutes he. He's plays, he's in solitary. You know, he gets recessed sometimes. Yeah, he gets to go out. He gets to go out and breathe fresh <laughs> yeah. air. You know, he, I he just can't. I was twenty four seven. You were solitary. <laughs> I was solitary. No, but Alpha, great player, and he can. I, he can do more for sure, but he's he's not in that box that I was in and Jerron is in. Yeah, no, y'all. You know, I think he's he's shown he's shown more. He's shown he's shown a lot. Like he, even if he doesn't start games, sometimes he will most likely be on the court when the game is finished. And yeah, people know him and people talk about him. Not as much as you know he can probably do because to me, I think he's an NBA player. Um, but yeah, I think he's not in the box that I was in. No, no, for sure. Not that level. Okay, I got another one. No. Um, there you go. <laughs> That's where I was headed at. I was like, and so ahead. this one is tougher because, you know, he had some injuries this year. It slowed things down. But I think um, Shaq McKissick um, at Olympiacos. Um, he, bro, he be. Oh. No. You don't, why you don't like no. it? No, bro. Why you don't like the it? box that I. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> I think he's a guy though. That, he, that's but a, he doesn't play a lot of minutes, and some of it is Barjoka's system. But usually, when he does play, he makes things happen. He's a great slasher, one of the better slashers. Um, you know, finishing in the paint, athletic. You know, he's a guy that you know I think is in a box. You know, in Olympiacos in that system. That, he, that's no, a sensitive no, 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 award, no. Derek. That's a sensitive he's, award, man. Listen, he's in a box. Every a lot of people are in boxes. But the box that I was in for the Chima Moneke Award is not that. This dude was cooking in the Final Four. He cooked why, us in the Final Four. But why you got to go to the Final Four? Why he can't play in a regular season? And a flat white, you know what I'm saying? The minutes. Listen, listen. The box that I was in, I remember when I left Monaco and then there was like a post that was like 11 people, newcomers to teams. And it was like, who do you think is going to have the biggest impact on their new team? And I was 11th. On everyone's list, everyone's list. McKissick, if he left, he would not be eleventh on everyone's list. The type of names that I'm looking for here are like freaking Smilingage. That's like closer to my box. Who else? Off the top of my head, I, off the top of the head is tough. It's not many though. Box I it's was not in many different. Who was in your box? You was um, you were serving twenty to life in jail, huh? <laughs> 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 attempted murder like <laughs> i don't know what you did to those monaco yeah, people but they you know they were not happy with you yeah yeah no comment, no comment. 
I have one name that actually might be eligible for this award, and I, I'm I'm eager to hear your opinion. He showed he to me he showed some promising glimpses as a potential defensing defensive anchorman in his team last season. He didn't score much, but he grabbed six rebounds per game, including 2.5 on offense in just 19 minutes per game, one blocked shot per game as well. And I'm talking about the guy who is now averaging only nine minutes. He's he's became a victim of some uh, roster decisions, and I'm talking about Freddie Gillespie. I don't know if you could agree with me, because I mean he was rookie last year. Mm-hmm. He in my eyes he was raw uh, by Euroleague standards, but in some games he changed those games, and he was efficient for Barn without scoring and I actually expected for him you know to make this next step this year and his summer was just his offseason was crazy because I heard that he was about to join Partizan if Nikola Mirotic would have officially landed here and actually God knows how many pieces would have moved together because I know that at least two or three underrated signings that fall apart uh, when Mirotic voided the agreement so Gillespie stayed in Bayern and Byron already had an agreement with Devin Booker. And they also, on top of that, out of nowhere, they signed Serge Ibaka in the midst of September. Mm, so crazy. suddenly you have a guy who was maybe on a potential breakout year becoming a third center because it feels like he couldn't, let's say, adjust. He couldn't cope with the situation and it's hard to cope with the situation when you have Serge Ibaka. I'm not, I'm not saying it was a bad move for Bayern because Ibaka is, is having a great stretch and he, he's getting better and better. But it, just very, it was just a very unfortunate situation for, for the guy like Freddie Gillespie in my eyes. That is an acceptable name in the box. Yes. That is, a, that is an acceptable name. Hey, but you see how hard it is my to box find is the box. Smaller, but yeah. You see how hard it is For to sure. find the box. It's tough. <laughs> I was there, right? I lived that box hey, for you made for it out. a few too many months. You made bro. it out. It's not easy. You probably had Man. to watch some film of your old games and play and remind yourself, okay, I still can play. That's that's how it feels when you're in the that, box. Everybody who's been in the box, they know you watch your old highlights and then you have to re- find something to give you like some feel, something to feel good about. And you're like, okay, I'm not I'm not crazy. I I am a good basketball player. Honestly, so I got cut my rookie season three games into the season in second division France, and I had to practice with them for six weeks. So for those six weeks, that was what I was doing, and. During the season, usually like I'm in the house, I'm locked in, I'm focused, not going out too much. I'm super locked in. And Monica, when I realized I was I was boxed up, my the thing that made me cope was going out. Like not partying, just going out to eat. Yeah. Living in Monaco, like I was I was in Monaco. Who knew how long I would be there? I would go out to eat, I would go to the casino. Like those were things to get my mind away from basketball. That's literally what I had to do because it was horrible for my mental health. Mm -hmm. Now I'm back and I'm not outside of the house unless I'm going to practice, going to the game or going to the grocery store. And that's that's what I'm used to. It's crazy how that works because when things aren't going right basketball wise, if you stay in the house, it's like you think too much. You overanalyze. You're staring at the four walls. You start like getting, (laughs) getting like all type of bad thoughts. It's just... And that little fresh air, that sunshine, like just 
changing up your routine can make all the difference in the world. So you know, I, I understand yeah, that. For sure, it did. At my rookie year, it I was I was in a box too. It was it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> it was in a box, and I I thought about wondering if basketball was going to work. I even came home that summer and I got a job because I said, maybe this is not for me. Like I got a job in the summertime. I work part-time just in case. Cause I said, ah, this basketball stuff is not looking good, you know, but you know, my parents made sure that, you know, we focused on education. We got a degree, so we were ready, but thankfully I got to put it on pause, but I was, I was one foot in one foot out. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy, man. I don't, I'm glad, I'm glad you stuck through it, man. That's a good topic you brought up because it was something that I wanted to bring up uh, talking about Mike James, who moved to the third place in all-time EuroLeague scorers, surpassing Juan Carlos Navarro, and now only Vasilis Panulis and still active player Nanda Decola are ahead of him. And there's a very high chance that Decola and Mike will surpass Panulis as well this year, this season uh, already. But what was also interesting to me that the same night Mike James became the third best all-time scorer in the early history just 10 years ago mike scored 31 points in the third italian league for a team called omegna mantova and i've actually checked top EuroLeague players who currently average at least 10 points and 10 par and some of their journey started way under the radar just like yours i had you uh, you guys on the list as you mentioned being cut in the second israel division or the second french division and Mike James is one of those examples. Chris Jones, another guy who was undrafted in 2015, he started his pro career in Mongolia. Mm. The second season was in Switzerland. So I, I liked him for that, a reason. A, I knew it. I knew I liked Chris Jones. Got it out the mud. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> By the way, another, another friend of yours, Darius Thompson, one of the hottest free agents last offseason, he goes undrafted in 2017 and spends his first two season, uh, years in the Netherlands, mm. another, let's say, non-basketball uh, country at all, far away from those EuroLeague, uh, you know, spotlights. Uh, so the list is pretty short, but maybe there are some other second or third division players who are listening to the podcast right now. And could you just share, based on your personal experience, uh, what kind of advice you would have been glad to hear? What did you do, you know, to cope with the situation? and to finally to break it out and now to be in this situation that you are right now? Uh, for me, I think I knew what my end goal was and I knew that I would get there eventually. I wasn't really worried about the road that I had to be in in that moment because I knew that, you know, I had a plan for myself. And honestly, I, I skipped a step when I played in Manresa by going to the NBA after that. And it was, it was just crazy how it worked out because I'm a visualizer. You know, I talk to myself, I make goals. And a lot of times I achieve those goals. And when I achieve it, it's not as surprising because, you know, I've predicted it or I imagined it. And for me, my goal was, you know, play EuroLeague, play NBA by my fifth, sixth, seventh year. That's the window I give myself and continue to elevate. And thank God I did that. And, you know, I just think it was... Mentally, I knew that I wasn't a victim playing in second division because hundreds of thousands, millions of people that would love to be playing in second division that can't get a job. So I looked at it like that, obviously, as a human with friends that are in the NBA and friends that are in EuroLeague at the time. It was hard to see what they were making and what they were doing. And 
you know, see, not feel the love or not you know, look at my bank account and be like, damn, that's it. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's a real thing. But for me, the thing that helped the most was I had a plan and I knew that I would get there no matter what. So this is interesting because I was talking to my teammates a little bit about this and I said, pretty much everywhere you look, there's someone who's playing at a level that their talent is better than, you know, they should be playing at a higher level. But then on the flip side, there's always someone who's playing at a level that their talent maybe doesn't warrant them being at that level. So you have to take that in a stride. So if you're a young player, my advice to you, number one, try not to have any children. Um, Try not to have a wife or girlfriend. If you're a rookie, you're starting out, try not to have none of that. If you do, make sure she works, she's overseas, or she's um, in America, she's doing her thing. Because I say that to say, when you're on this grind, you're not going to make a lot of money in the early years. And if you have kids, if you have um, a wife, you're going to be making money decisions that's best for your family rather than career decisions that's best for you. So, you know, if you can be only taking care of yourself, it's easy for you to go with less. It's easy for you to to sacrifice or to not have certain things. But when you have children or a wife, it's no way that you're going to be able to tolerate that. So that would automatically, you know, shorten your dream and make it tougher for you. Um, number two, I would say um, set a timeline. You know, I, I say I gave myself three years. Um, and if three years your career isn't progressing to where it needs to be, not just financially, I'm talking about the level of teams you're playing on, the lead, um, those type of things. If you're not seeing that growth, you know, also money, then it's going to be tough um, for you to get there because as you get older and older, it's harder to break into that market. Um, then this is probably the most important thing, more important thing than anything. Do not get hurt. I repeat, do not get injured. If you are a rookie, second, year, third, and you're trying to climb up from the lower levels, you cannot get hurt. Like, this is how it goes. It's unfair. You got to take care of your body. You got to do all the extra things. You got to pray a lot. And you got to not take certain risks on the court. But you can't get hurt because um, availability is your best ability. So that's what's going to allow you to show yourself. Every day is an interview. Every day is a job. This is how I took it. When I started off at the lower level, I came from a Division II NAI school. When I signed my first deal, I was blessed. I was in first lead Israel. I was the only non-Division One player. I go there. I'm seeing all guys from Big Ten, ACC, SEC. And so at first, it's like, dang, this is crazy. But then once you get there, we all on the same level. There's guys from the NBA, there's guys from all this, but we here now. And so every time you play, it's a job interview. I don't care if it's a preseason game. I don't care if it's the uh, last place game, last team. Every team is a job interview, and every coach knows somebody. Every player knows somebody. Sometimes I play against guys, somebody might call me and ask me what I think of a player. So that's how you set the tone and you make um, a difference. So dominate every time you can and be an impactful in winning. You know, sometimes you're going to think, oh, I got to do this, I got to do this. Don't stress. Enjoy the moment. You know, sometimes if you think too much about the future, you won't be able to pour all your energy and all yourself into where you're at right now. So, yes, plan, manifest, um, set goals, set standards, but understand that what you do right here, right now is most important because there is no future without it. If I don't hinder today, I can't get to tomorrow. Um, and if you take those steps, I think you can continue to progress and progress and and put everything you can into the game. I never met someone who said, damn, 
I wish I didn't work as hard. You know, give yourself every opportunity to succeed. I'd rather be overprepared. You know, if that's knowing the plays, knowing the scout, if that's getting up extra three, four hundred shots, I'm tired. You know, I want to leave practice. You know, I'm going to stay, get a hundred makes, like do all the extra stuff if you're serious about progressing your career. And then once you put everything into the game and you did everything you could on the court, off the court, you can leave with your head high knowing that I got where I was supposed to go or I did everything I could. So that's kind of the approach I took. And it allowed me to sustain longevity. You know, this is my 14th season. You know, God willing, I hope I can play, you know, a few more and then continue to play at a high level. But please take care of your body and start young. Don't wait till you're already broken down and old. It's too late. Start while you still feel good, when you're still dunking, when you're still moving good, when you're doing everything. And then maybe you can have that LeBron-like, Steph Curry-like longevity. Okay, I have three in or out questions. Uh, it will be your league-related questions, three different situations. The first one is, you know, I wouldn't call it a hypothetical situation. There are rumors in the basketball community, not on Twitter, that Milan was really pushing hard for Keenan Evans. And some sources even suggested the potential swap was d discussed between Jalgiris and Milan. I mean, Kevin Pangos is going to Jalgiris. Keenan Evans is signing with Milan on a new long-term deal. I'm not sure how it would have worked out financially. I'm not sure if there were other pieces that could have potentially moved. Maybe Milan could have added some other players or, or uh, offer cash considerations. Uh, but let's say the, the conversation is about Keenan Evans for Kevin Pangos. In a situation where we're talking about a player like Keenan Evans who is improving and who is about to leave the club in summer, in off-season, because Stralgidis won't be able to, to afford him, uh, and Kevin Pangos, who is looking for a better situation. In or out in this case? If I'm Zagiris, I'm out. out. I'm keeping Keenan Evans. He's, <laughs> he's in form. Like, Pangos is a good player, right? But when's the last time he's played competitive basketball? When's the last time he's practiced? When's the last time he's done all those things? And you already know how Evans fits with his team. Yes, Pangos was a great player in his Zagiris era, but that's a whole different team with a whole different system. So I'm sticking with Evans. Um, if I'm Milan, I jump to it because right now I have nobody there, and I'm gaining a player who can score, who can create, who can make things happen, who's athletic, who can defend. You know, he would inject a type of boost into the offense that they desperately need, especially with, um, you know, the issues they have and the injuries that they have going on. So it's a no-brainer um, for them. But for Zagiris, nah, you know, I got to see this through. I think you can make the playoffs, and we both know, you know, financially how much of a boost that is when they can get those home games and they can do certain things. And, you know, maybe they don't make the playoffs. You don't know, but you owe it to your fans and your people to at least see it through. And Zagiris has made enough money. They've already sold two players. They got – they got a good good deal on both of those players. Like they'll be fine. <laughs> Facts. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely out on that. Um, I just think it doesn't make sense for one of the sides. Obviously, Zalgiris in this case. And yeah, I think for Milan it'll help, but I think Milan just they need more things to be done. I don't know why. Personally, I don't know why Meritage is playing the three. Um, I think if they play him with Melly, Melly should play the five and Miritich plays the four. Or I just think Miritich is a four and should be the four. And I think that's one of the main problems 
for Milan, not just their point guard situation, but yeah, I think there's a couple things that's going wrong there. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think it would be one-sided uh, trade unless, you know, if let's say Keenan Evans feels that attention and if he really wants to move on, you know, who knows, maybe it would be hard to keep an unhappy player who was ready uh, to, to elevate to a bigger club like Milan and, you know, to help them to turn around the season. So we don't know how it would have worked out internally. How is he feeling inside the club? And, you know, watching him... For instance, last week, it, I had this weird feeling because to me, he looked passive in some situations. Instead of being aggressive, instead of taking clutch shots, he was just, you know, moving away from the ball and just letting Edgar Solanovas shoot contested threes, which is not a good solution uh, for Chargris if they want to win games. So that kind of felt me a weird, weird feeling, but I really believe that they're going to uh, solve it out. The second question is also based on some rumors and the latest information that Valencia is closest in getting Kevin Pango's signature. But of course, they have to solve the contract termination with Milan uh, before uh, closing the deal. And that's another question. Valencia, they're like one foot in the top eight, but the race is, is very tight. And, and, and who knows, it won't be easy to, to stay in in this, in this room. But let's say they're signing Kevin Pangos. Do you think that Kevin Pangos signing make Valencia more of a top eight lock or improve their chances significantly to, to be in the top eight? For me, it's tough. I am in on that'll help them. But I think this season, first of all, top 10 is what you're trying to get because of the play-in. But I don't think that there's locks I think Real Madrid, Bologna, Barcelona, and Monaco are probably the safest bets. But aside from that, you see how competitive it is this year. I don't think that'll make them a lock. I think it'll help them get better. But the EuroLeague this season is outrageously competitive, especially from, what is it, 5th or 4th to 14th, 15th. It's just unreal. So to say lock is a bit of a stretch, but it'll definitely help them because I think I like Chris Jones at the two as well over there. For me, I think they're having success. It's tough <clears throat> to warrant rocking a boat. Um, right now you're currently in the playoffs. A lot of people didn't have you projected there at the start of the season. And any time you get too many players, it's hard to please everybody, right? So Chris Jones is playing almost 26 minutes a night. Then you go to Jared Harbert, he's playing 17 minutes a night. And then Stefan Jovic is playing 16 minutes a night. Now Martin Hermanson just came back. Now you add Kevin Pango. Where do you find these minutes? Like, where do you distribute this? So I think he's a good player. I think, yes, he could help, but it would have to be out of subtraction, you know, of one of those guys. You know, you can't, you can't play four guards. And even though Chris Jones can slide to the two, that's still three guards who really can only play you know, at that point position, Harper because of his size, um, Jovic because of his creation, not a score, Hermanson because of his size, um, Pangos because of his size. So I don't like it just because it's just too many guards and with one coming back into the fold, they're going to have to adjust Hermanson coming in if they give him minutes and then if you bring a guy like Pangos. Um, you know, does he have a passport? Maybe that's something they're looking at in ACB. Um, that could be a value to them. But, you know, I just... 
for me, I don't rock the boat if a team is having success. I feel like if you're going to make player changes, it should be for a team that's on the outside looking in because there's something where somebody's struggling, and so it warrants cutting minutes or making changes. But if a team is reaching the goals, how do you warrant me telling you that you got to play less? Why? We winning. Everything's going well. I'm doing what you told me to do, coach. You kind of lose the trust of the locker room when you do stuff like that. I wish we had trades, uh, active trades. It would make midseason more exciting. But the problem is that when I'm thinking about those midseason signings, except from cases like Facundo Campasso joining Red Star or Tyler Dorsey joining Fenerbahce, I, I remember that like a few years ago, Eddie Tavares joined Real Madrid during the season because he was cut from Cleveland probably. I actually barely remember midseason signings who became like a game changers for those teams. And I feel that in the EuroLeague, it's, it's really hard to significantly change things when you're like an addition, especially to a team like even Valencia. I mean, they have their, they build their own core, they build their own style, and you're bringing the guy who is, I'm not saying it's bad, but he 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 requires sort of a change as well inside the, the team. And I'm just not sure if it's that going to work if we're talking about it, unless we're talking about an exceptional player. And you've been in this situation as well, uh, both both Chimo and Eric. When you joined Monaco, you kind of saw how hard it was uh, to to get a role, uh, to to play significant role in that team. Eric, I think it was it was a bit different case with Kimki because you signed early in September, but since it was. Uh, COVID and also a lot of visa stuff. I think that you missed first five yearly grounds and it kind of, it was enough, you know, to kind of lose the track of, of the team where it was going. So you could actually share your experience, you know, how hard it is to, to join the team mid-season and the year league and to become a game changer. When you join a team mid-season is the toughest thing you can do as an athlete outside of getting cut just because it's a tug of war um, between trying to learn the offense, um, see where you fit in, and see where you have your openings. A lot of times when we're in the preseason, not only do we learn the playbook, this is easy you know, for a player with a high IQ. You can learn all the plays, all the defensive stuff, but you're trying to find out where you can be successful within the concept of the team within those plays. And so you don't get that preseason to see what works, what doesn't work, what plays you can um, find options out of, what plays you can break. Like you don't get to this, so you're trying to learn on the fly. And then everybody is already established. Everybody has their roles, um, certain amount of shots, certain amount of plays, minutes, everything. And when you come in, depending on your play style, you can disrupt that. Me, I'm a guy who scores. I'm a dominant personality and character. So if a guy like comes in like me, I can kind of make waves within the team. And Sometimes that's warranted, sometimes that's not. That's why I say it's always best to go to a team that's struggling because when they bring in a dominant character, everyone's expecting you to come here and write the ship and no one has nothing to say. No one can fight it because you guys are doing terrible. So I'm coming in and I'm here to try to make it go from terrible to okay. you know. And that's kind of got to be your mindset. When you go to a team that's already flowing, it's extremely difficult just because of that. Not only is the coach going to feel like I owe it to these guys because they've been through the preseason. They've done this. They've done that. I can't just give it to you when you come in, but you got to think this is why you brought me here. You know, you signed me to come in here and make changes to do things. Let me do that. And you're not just giving it to me. Look at my course of my career. Look at my accolades. Look at my my entire seasons. 
I've earned it. <laughs> this is why I'm here. So that's the hardest part, I would say, is a tug of war between your teammates, between the staff, and between trying to find in where you fit in, but still trying to be who you are. You know, I always say you should be you and your team and your teammates will adjust to you and your coaches, and then they'll tell you, coach will tell you when to tone down. You should never adapt your game unless it's coming from the coach because I feel like you're only going to have success being you. You know, I can only be Eric McCullum. You know, you can only be Chima. Like, you can only be Donatus. And I've been like that, and he's been like that for years, right? And so if I try to become a new player overnight, I only have experience of what, two weeks, three weeks doing this, and now I'm trying to play at the yearly level? Like, no, be the guy you've been for the last 20 years and then have them tell you to tone it down or turn it up. And that's always the rule. And the only people I've seen be successful who came late was the James Gist situation you discussed. Um, you know, he was in Malaga, just wasn't a good fit. He went to Pan and had a hell of a career, was um, excellent there, played there, I don't know, eight seasons maybe, um, was on some really good teams. And then um, I guess if you want to talk about currently, uh, Mike Dom, you know, he's actually playing really good. Um, you know, it's only a small sample size, three games, a little over 19 minutes a game, but he's averaging almost 12 points a game, shooting 50% from three, 83 from twos, and perfect from the line. Um, could rebound a little bit better, you know, a little under three. But coming into a team this late, it was only good for him because the foreman is hurt, the fireman is hurt, this guy is hurt. All these injuries occurred. It was the perfect situation to walk in and play. Now when those guys come back from injury, he's already solidified himself as a guy who needs to play, and it ended up being perfect for him. But most cases, coming in midseason is a no-go. I would say just continue to stay with your team, and if they want, <laughs> if they want you now – they'll want you five, six months from now. That's that's a fact. And uh, the thing I'm going to touch on is you said it's it's better for you to go to a team that's struggling. I got a question, Donatus. When did Shabazz Napier get to Milan last season? Uh, too late. I don't remember the, <laughs> the timeline, but it was just too late. But yeah, that was the, the guy who really made the difference. It was a perfect fit for, for Milan. Made a difference, yes, exactly. He was perfect there. But it came in injuries. But wasn't Pangos hurt? Um, yeah. And then um, I think the other guard was hurt too. Shawn Shields was hurt. Yeah. They were lacking of perimeter scorers. So it was just a perfect player for, for that group. They, they won. I don't know the exact amount, but I remember that they got close. Maybe got up to the 11th or 10th place. They won like five, six in a row. Mm -hmm. and it was a different feeling there. And that's that, I completely agree with your point. Yeah, and the last in and or out situation is related to the other Spanish team, Real Madrid. They continued their dominance with two road wins in Greece, which is hard to do against Olympiacos and Panathinaikos. Uh, okay, their winning streak was just snapped in Istanbul, but Madrid is the first EuroLeague team in the round-robin system uh, since uh, 2016. On a, uh, that started the season on a perfect 10-0 uh, record this year, Madrid won 12 of 13 yearly games by 14.5 point margin on average. They produced the first best offense, the first best defense, the first best net rating, the first, the best assist average and assist percentage, second best two point shooting percentage, and the third best three point shooting percentage. So, we're talking about almost a perfect team in December. So, my question is, will Madrid? reached the new EuroLeague regular season wins record for the record, the current uh, round-robin era record belongs to Fenerbahce with 83% uh, 
uh, winning percentage. They were 25 and 5 in uh, 2018-19 season. FS were 24 and 4, which is almost 86%, but it was that COVID year which uh, was cut with six games uh, remaining until the end of the regular season. So to surpass surpass both records, Madrid would need to finish the season with at least 29 victories in 34 games. Do you see that possible? I think they can do it. I am in. I am in. <laughs> I, think, I, am in. I mean, <laughs> when you think about it, they should be 13-0. That game they lost to Finner yes. was like a fluke. Like I think they were perfect going into the fourth quarter from the line. And then they missed a lot of clutch free throws. They made uncharacteristic turnovers, all those type of mistakes. And they still had a chance to win the game. Um, When you're talking about a team who's this prolific offensively, um, they have six guys in double figures. I say six because the six guy averages 9.8. But six guys in double figures. Then they have two guys who average 8.1 and 8.2. At that point, who do you guard? Who do you stop? Um, it's a well-oiled machine. You know, everybody's involved. Everybody's doing something. And what makes them so hard is that the highest score only averages 12.8 points a game. So you're talking about guys who are in that 10 to 13 range and who can just any night pick one of those eight, somebody can drop 20 on you. And those teams are the hardest to guard because everything's free-flowing. Everything's equal opportunity. You can't really shift and say, okay, we're going to stop one player because there's seven other guys who can go beat you that night. And then what makes them special is their efficiency at what they shoot at. You're talking about 60% from twos, um, 39% from three, and then almost 83% from the free throw line. So every night, that tells me that they're having superb ball movement. They're getting excellent shot selection. Um, They're playing the correct way, and they have guys who flat out make shots. And in the EuroLeague, you have to have a team that punishes defensive mistakes. And what better way to do it than to have um, one of the better playmaking point guards, you know, in the EuroLeague surrounded by shooters on the perimeter and finishers on the inside so i see no reason why they can't do it they're taken right off from where they left um off that championship run and i think the confidence and the swagger is even higher and you know if they don't you know do what they're supposed to do it's probably because of injuries it won't be because of that current roster it will be because maybe the wrong people got hurt you know i'm hoping for a healthy season for everybody but this is part of the game yeah i think the the way they lost is what tells me that they're going to do it just because something kind of miraculous needed to happen for them to lose. And honestly, their toughest game of the season probably was against us. The first game of the season, we were up majority of the game and then, you know, their experience took over and they, you know, they won by two at the end. Y'all just needed Dusko. Just the way- Y'all just needed Dusko, bro. That's- I had him. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, the way they play is just is just different. The way they play is different. And yeah, I just even in the ACB league is just it's kind of unfair to watch. It's just they're all bought in. There's no one that's upset whenever they don't score 20 that day because they know the next game or the game after that it'll be their game and everyone is happy for each other. I'm definitely in on them doing that. But then obviously when it gets to Final Four, anyone can be beat on any given day. So that's a different question. Yeah. But for the regular season, they for sure have one more loss coming against Basconia, whenever that next game is. But <laughs> um, aside from that, yeah, they can they, probably. They look like they have so much fun playing together. Like you said, there's no hate. There's no 
you know, envy. There's nobody who's upset with the role. Like, you could just tell that they just enjoy playing with each other. And when you have that type of chemistry, it's easier to thrive because sometimes throughout your success, people are going to get credit, individuals, coaches. Right. When you have a team that's not jealous, you can stay together and everybody thrives together. But, you know, like he said, most teams in my experience through seeing and watching the Euroleague who finished first place in the Euroleague all year, they never win the Final Four. It's crazy, but, like, it's always upset. It used to be Cheska. It used to be all these years I would watch, and I'd be like, dang, I thought they were a guarantee. Or Barcelona those years when they exactly. had Saris, and it just never happens. Yeah, I hate the we Final Four format. I hate the Final Four format, but, you know, it's good that, you know, this kind of record shows that there's a lot of uh, uncertainties and predictability uh, regarding the final outcome uh, of the competition. So... That that's good for the fans. Nobody knows sure. what to expect. Although we do need the playoff series, both for the semifinals and the finals. Yeah, like how are we how are we busting our behind to play a five game series to get to just play one game and like that does not make sense at all. I get the season's long and everything, but if anything, cut down the the local league and make make the Euroleague playoffs show that the best team really won because FIBA would never. I'm sure throughout the yeah, FIBA would impossible. Never. I get it. But <laughs> that means they gave if, up if to not, the Euroleague. They would never do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I get that. But for us, it, I don't think it really makes sense, this format. But. Yeah, I just remember we had this great game five, uh, Monaco, Maccabi. The whole series were tough. The same happened with Real Madrid and Partizan. You just kind of start building this excitement. You know, it, everybody lives with the playoffs. And bam, you have a final four. You decide the champions in like three days. And then that's yeah. it. The, the whole excitement, the whole hype is, is, is gone. So that's yeah. now how things should, should work in the ideal world. But we're living in a tough world uh but uh for the end i want to discuss since we have chim on the podcast um uh, the member of a spanish team and spanish teams are just dominating the euroleague we have three spanish teams actually in the top four right now okay top five because monaco and basconia they both have eight wins but uh yeah we have three spanish teams in the uh, top five valencia is the eighth team so we have all four spanish teams in the top uh, eight uh, currently which is huge uh, for the acb it just proves their you know dominance their their status of the best league in europe which is not not questionable at all uh but i wanted to discuss two underdogs that are among those top five teams and let's start with Dushkonia as you called it. Uh, with coach Penaroya, you started the season with one win in five games. Basconia have, has the second worst offense, according to Bibolytics, the second worst Oof. net rating. It was hard. The second worst three-point shooting percentage. I gotta be honest, it was hard to watch. The... It was hard. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I just used to fast uh, forward past, past your games. I ain't gonna lie. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> You, you could probably go back to the old basket news, and I, I was like, I, the most unwatchable uh, team was Basconia, and then it, uh, it, no it, way, uh, come on, man. It was y'all Asbel and Asbel. Exists, it was man. y'all and Asbel Thank at you, the bottom. Asbel exists, man. <laughs> come on, man. Then, then it all changed. Go that. ahead, Donatus. Go ahead. Second so, worst sorry, on defense. I, second worst all. Oh, what first offense? Go ahead. Run, run those numbers crazy. back again. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, don't do that. <laughs> 
Sorry, I have to continue with the worst in two-point shooting percentage, bottom four in assist percentage, bottom six in defense, ninth in rebounds. But Dushko comes. Basconia is seven of eight since Dushko's takeover. Fun fact, they had the same record in Zvezda last year when he took over uh, Red Star. Uh, and during the stretch, Basconia produced the fourth best offensive rating, the fifth Ugh. best defensive rating, the second best net rating Oof. in the year league. They're top three in assist percentage, fourth best rebounding percentage, fourth best in three-point shooting, and top eight uh, in, in two-point shooting. Now I watch your game. That's... I watch y'all now. Good. 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 So, Chima, please help us decode Dushko's effect. I just think it's 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 rules, you know the rules. You you just know if someone makes a mistake, you know who made the mistake, and there's no point of even like discussing it. It's like damn, that was me, and guys are held accountable. You don't like disappointing him because like he has this presence about him that, you know, when he walks in, he just demands and commands respect. But like it's he's such a good person. Like off the court, like he talks to people like. He puts his hand on you and like says, you know, what needs to be said. You know, he's a leader. He's just, you know, it's not like we, yes, we have some different plays and we have offensively some different things that we do. But it's just, I just think it's everyone knowing their role, knowing what he wants. And like, he's very clear about it. So you can't, it's not no discussion about should we have done this or should we have done that? He's very clear about it. We do video we do a lot of video, video on game days when we arrive to the arena. A lot of practice. Like he, honestly, so look, the the practices, especially we've had this stretch of a lot of games, but the practices have honestly not been as bad as everyone made it out to seem. You know, a lot of people in the organization have been with him and said, you know, he's he's improved, he's gotten better, like he he communicates better, like. I'm going to be completely honest. The stories that I heard, the stories that I heard about him before I met him, they scared the (laughs) crap out of me, dog. I was literally, you know, it's crazy. Like we were hearing the rumors about Coach P getting fired and it was like going on for a couple weeks. And then out of nowhere, Zvezda fired Dushko and like my heart just sank because I knew what that meant. (laughs) And everyone started messaging me saying, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. And I'm just like, oh God, oh no. Oh God, I was sweating. And then I got here and I'm like, he got here and I'm just like, this guy is incredible. Like he's, he's, he's awesome. Um, yeah, he's great. And you didn't everyone do preseason. knows what to do. You didn't do preseason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be at real. Great guy, great coach, but you missed preseason. <laughs> no, listen, he's, he's gotten better. He's gotten better. He's gotten better. I've heard that. I've had enough conversations with a lot of people, some guys that were with him at the start of the season to know that the stories that from years ago or from the past, it's not the same as it is today. Red Star still recovered from the preseason. <laughs> <laughs> They're still not the same. You're, <laughs> you're oh, a bad yeah, man, Eric. <laughs> They're still not <laughs> the same. They might not win some more games <laughs> until, until FIBA break comes. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. Dushkonia is in full effect. That's my guy. Eric, what, what made them watchable since Dushko's uh, arrival? I think um, the difference was 
you know, not even knowing like any of those thoughts, like the eye popping numbers, just offensively. You know, when I watched them before, it was just a struggle, like to find baskets. The ball wasn't moving; it was sticking. Um, the actions weren't coming clean to Howard. You know, where you're trying to get him going. So you know, because I think he's not getting you know those clean looks, those actions. He was forcing a lot, um, and then that kind of bogged down their offense, and it kind of created a domino effect. Where now, since he's shooting those shots. Other guys are going to shoot these shots, and then they're going to shoot this shot. Then I'm going to do this. So then there was, like, no role. There was no pecking order. And so I'm just watching it like it's the wild, wild west out here. And then when Dusko came, you know, he was finding ways for Howard to get the ball, to get into his spots. And then it was kind of opening up things. Now he's letting the game come to him. Now when you see your leading scorer letting the game come to him or your guy who's supposed to be the scorer, him or Chima, now everybody else kind of waits and pecks their turn and takes their turn, you know, and then Chima's going to find his points, like – he can get it through the flow. He can get it with play. So it's easier for him. But Howard's a guy that needs that ball, that needs space. And then um, you can just see, like, a relief was let go. They're playing harder. They're playing more aggressive. Um, and I think players also know that anytime there's a coaching change, follow after the coaching change. If there's not improvement, there's player changes. Um, and that's something that can wake you up, too. So um, this offensively, they're, they're playing like a team. And I felt early in the season – I don't know if it was just because they were new and they were trying to figure each other out. They were trying to adapt. But there was a little bit of ball sticking and a little bit of selfishness. Now I feel like there's more cohesion, there's more togetherness, and it's more of a we thing. And I think that's why you've seen them climb that ladder. What's interesting that you guys are facing another team that surprised a lot of people, Virtus Bologna. By around 13th, uh, December 8th, Virtus reached nine victories this season. For comparison, the last year, they reached their ninth victory by January 19th. So it's more than one month later than this year. And what's interesting that six of their best top scorers of a team that averaged over seven points per game played in Bologna last year as well. They kicked out their head coach, Sergio Scariolo, in mid-September this season and brought Italian Luca Banchi. And suddenly, basically the same team, they produced the fourth best offensive rating, the fourth best two-point shooting percentage. They're there in the mid-table regarding the defense, 10th best defensive rating, but net rating, they have the fourth best net rating according to Bibolytics. So what difference did you notice? What made them so great this season? Uh, freedom. I think, I, think that's, I think that's what... I don't know what... Coach Scariolo was doing last season. I can't really speak on that, but I see what Luca Banke is doing this season. And it feels like he's giving guys freedom. Ife Lundberg is coming in like one games for them, like in the second half or the fourth quarter by just being free. I forget what game it was where he had like 30 PIR, 28 PIR in like 15 minutes. Things like that just weren't happening last season. I feel like they were all, they all had like, I don't think, Anyone averaged over 10 points, I may be wrong, but I know that at some point during the season, that was a thing. And it wasn't like a Madrid situation where it was guys, you know, being unselfish and guys knowing that their time will come. It was just, it just looked like there wasn't the freedom that the players needed. And it's proof because they changed some players, but their main guys are still there. And now it's just completely different with the new coach. And Shangelia, Shangelia, he's, He's been incredible. Um, if I had an MVP vote, it would be Campazzo, but then Shangeli would be second. But he's been amazing. 
Yeah, you've hit it right on the head. I think um, the freedom that they're playing with, um, and I think it gave everybody a fresh start. You know, I was questioning the decision to can a coach in September, you know, that early, but, you know, obviously Bologna knew what they were doing. They found a way to reconcile that, and, you know, they're playing at a high level. I think the biggest difference is they're playing through uh, Shingilia, who's playing at an all-year league level, MVP level. Um, last year he was averaging a little over 12 points a game. This year um, a little over 17 um, PIR is almost 22. You know, he's getting over six rebounds a game. You know, he's almost getting four assists a game, which is extremely um, impressive out of the four position. It's just showing his versatility. So everything's kind of going through him, and he's kind of making the game easier, you know, for other people with his creation, with his rebounding, with his ability to post up, and with his ability to hit the three this year. Um, he's shooting the ball a lot better. And I think um, anytime you have a guy playing at an all-yearly level, and then you surround them with really other good players. It makes everybody's job easier. Um, clarity, um, a pecking order. Um, you know, as Chima said, rules. And, you know, you can see that that's been the case there. And, you know, just the belief, the, the happiness, the jubilation that they're playing with, you know, I think that's what you're seeing. And they already have a great fan base. They have a great organization. You know, you hear they do things right. So, really, they just needed to have some success. And anytime you start a yearly season, you know, winning, it's a little bit easier to continue to, to build that momentum, you know, it's harder when you start off losing and you got to kind of find that energy, you know, change the aura, you know, you come into a place where people are looking at you crazy, you know, sometimes people don't want to talk to talk to you because the team losing and, you know, the energy is not the same. So I think, you know, them starting off good was a really good jump for them to kind of transition that coaching change and to kind of get ready for this season. So since we have three intruders in the top eight this year with Virtus, Basconi and Valencia. Eric, which one do you see staying here and why? And let's pretend Chima is not not in this Riverside call. I'm going to say Bologna because they have um, the best home court at all those teams. Uh, they have um, a more hostile gym, um, tougher place to play. Um, and I think that you know, they're just they're playing at a really good form. I know that Vasconia is playing great, um, but is it sustainable? We're going to see. I don't believe in Valencia. I don't know why. I just I feel like something's going to turn. And I think Valencia doesn't believe in themselves either because if they're thinking about signing Kevin Pangos, then they must see something that I see too. Because if you believe in your team and what you have, you're running with what you got. You're not changing no players. You're not changing no coaches. This is my roster. This is who I believe in. So I'm right not to believe fully in Valencia. I do think they're a lot of good players. I think they're a good team. But I think Bologna is showing me something. And I think anytime a team goes through adversity and thrives after that, you know, with that coaching change, I think that puts you in a position uh, greater to succeed. Whereas Vasconia also went through adversity, but they were doing poorly. And then they kind of had to dig themselves out. You know, Bologna hadn't really done nothing wrong. It just, you know, some things happened internally you know, in uh, upper management. And that's what, you know, sprung that. So you know, I do like Basconia now. I wasn't a fan at first, I'm, I'm honest. But now I like how y'all play. But um, I think Bologna has just been more consistent throughout the course of the year. And I've seen um, that longer and I feel more comfortable with that. Uh, so Chima, what would be your response? I mean, I, I respect it. It's a good, it's a great answer. I think Basconia and Bologna will be in the playoffs when the season's over. Um, we play them next, which is amazing. And I just feel like, yeah, the feeling of going into a game now is completely different, you know, for us. 
Like, you know, we still have things that we need to do better and we're learning, but you just can't. It's not a fluke to go seven and one in the Euro League. Like we've we beat some legit teams in this league during that time. And the only team we lost to was two was Monaco and that was by two points. And I didn't play well. And um I just I just think like we go into games genuinely believing that we're going to win. And that makes a huge difference. But yeah, I, Bologna is incredible. I think they'll be in the playoffs. I predicted them to be in the final four as well as ourselves. And we like that some people still don't believe in us, um, you know, because they last year it was seven and one with Red Star as well with Dushko. So it's going to wear off. Nah, we don't believe in that. You got an MVP candidate on the team. So and you got you got I think Marcus Howard will end up leading the league in scoring because, you know, he's just different. And yeah, he's 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 Marcus Howard now like he's he's found himself again and we need him to be our leading scorer and, and our gunner but yeah i like that i like that well good luck i'll be rooting for you and you know, y'all more you, than capable man oh we're gonna get it done for sure by the way i will give some hope to, to valencia fans as well uh i usually trust those teams who play really good defense and I ha- I like this defensive mindset that Valencia have. I know that Basconia for, for Basconia Valencia defense is, is nothing. But in, in both games, in the last game you scored like ninety eight points, and in the ever win you got also something like eighty points. But actually, I mean, if they're not facing Basconia, uh, Valencia is a solid defensive team. They have the second best defensive rating. They have huge size on the court. They have uh, big bodies uh, as well. So you know. Defense, this is something you can rely on uh, going through the season. And usually it kind of guarantees at least some something like, uh, you know, sustainability, uh, some consistency. And offensively, you can build on things. But but to have a great defensive uh, um, core is, is a huge asset uh, going through the season in the EuroLeague. I agree. And, you know, Valencia, they started off well, and that means that they have some things there that are working. So I don't want them to panic and, you know, do too much because they got they got some guys like we beat them both times this season so far, but they have some things there that are working really well. But I feel the panic coming from their side and, you know, with the fans towards, you know, the coach and some of the players. And, you know, it's it's tough to deal with that. You know. By the way, before I will go with our Q&A session, uh, do you think it would be important to address the officiating stuff that's actually now relevant, I would say relevant, both in the NBA and the EuroLeague? Nah, let's let them, let's let them live right yeah. now. They're human. You know, it's, not, it's not yeah. an easy job. Yeah. The only thing I'll say is, to me, what makes a bad ref is a ref that doesn't listen to the players after they've made a call that may be wrong. And because they haven't played in that level, they don't understand our emotions. And then they make it worse by giving us technical fouls or ignoring us. Like one example has happened in the ACB. I got a, I got a technical foul for celebrating a three-pointer. And when I tried to speak to him, the guy wouldn't even look me in my face. And to me, that's what makes you a bad rep. 
Like, it's okay to miss calls. I know mm-hmm. if I was a ref, I would miss calls too. But then when I'm disrespecting the players that are, you know, giving their all and I have the, because I have the power to throw them out of the game, that they should, res- I think that's what makes you a bad ref. But I agree 100%. Be approachable. Be able to talk. Sometimes we don't even want to argue with you. If I come I to you, to I'm talk, saying, yeah. what did I do so that I cannot do that again? You know, and some refs will tell you, okay, okay, thank you. And in some refs, you can't even have a conversation with them. It just depends yeah. on the ego. That's the problem. Okay, so we'll keep this topic uh, for the next episode and for the last Q&A uh, part. I'll just give you a quick reminder that we have a BN Plus platform uh, for for special BN Basket News subscribers on basketnews.com slash plus. It's a paid membership that unlocks a lot of extra features uh, for you, such as full or bonus Q&A episodes, tactical breakdowns, our exclusive interviews, or uh, closed basketball fans community on Discord and WhatsApp, and also an opportunity to address questions to our bonus uh, guests. We actually covered some of those questions during our conversation, but I have two left, and actually both are for Eric, but I will have some separate questions for for Chim as well. Uh, No, actually, Chim also got one question. Uh, Anyways, there's a question coming of from Reaver, and it's a Red Star-related question. Ask Eric whether he is so confident in this Red Star team like he was after round one. What does he think of Shabazz's performance and performance of the team as a whole? And what he thinks needs to change? Will two signings solve the problem? I think um, Red Star is a good team. I do. I think that they hit a rough patch and they hit that adversity. And oftentimes when teams hit adversity, it can, you know, help them to come together and to move forward and to kind of get over the hump or it can cause all types of problems. And right now you're seeing the problems just emerge. I think, excuse me, I think that it's like one thing happened after the next. It's just a trickle down effect. And I think, that the talent is there. They have the names. They have the experience. They have the versatility. They have size, but you know they've they've been fragile um, with adversity, and they've been fragile with um, you know failure. And I don't want to say they failed because season is young; a lot can change. But failure, as in late in games when they're losing games and they're struggling down the stretch. Um, I still believe in Sebas. You know, I still think he's one of the better point guards. You know, in the Euroleague, um, he's struggling right now. He's not in a good mode. Um, He's not playing at his best level, struggling with his shooting, and it happens. Um, happens to some of the best players. It doesn't matter if it's you know Mike James, Nikola Mirotic. They have stretches where maybe they don't shoot the ball the best. The key is to find ways to impact the game other ways and to help your team. So, you know, the season is young. They can turn around at any moment. They could hit a stretch. Who knows, like Basconia did, where you went seven out of eight. You know that could happen. You know, but it's not going to happen until they're able to change some things internally and find some way to get some confidence because they're not playing with that same swagger and elusiveness and happiness and joy that I seen in that week one when the threes were raining from everywhere um, compared to now. It's just a different type of flow. And it's very stagnant, it's very slow, and it's methodical. And I don't know if it's the, the Serbian pressure, the Belgrade pressure from the media, from people within the early, but you can tell that they feel it on their back. Another question goes to Chima from Archie. Uh just for the record, Dante Exum posted his season high 23 points in a win against Portland. He also got six rebounds, seven assists, uh, 
and actually Dante is on a minute increase in Dallas, logging 23 minutes per game in the last four games. And the question from Archie is, Chima, did you talk to Dante Exum recently and uh, what they spoke about Partizan? That's the question. For the <laughs> no, uh, yeah, we spoke recently. Um, obviously, he just became a father. So, you know, I congratulated him on that. And um, I sense, you know, his baby some gifts because I'm a good friend. Um, and we just, you know, we talked about my situation and, you know, a little bit about his situation. But just, you know, he's busy now. Life is different. He's a father. So we don't talk as much as we used to. But, yes, recently we spoke and um, we caught up. And it was great, you know. Partizan fans were all over my, my comments when I commented on his photo and i just gotta yeah it's, it's it's different now everything i do gets their attention and <sighs> it's crazy by the, by the way how do you guys like his uh, season in dallas for, for, for me um yeah i just think it it's a situation that you know kind of like vazenkov over there and it was going to take him some time to get the minutes that i think he deserves and, you know, some games he would play six minutes, some games he would play, you know, 14 or whatever. But unfortunately, you know, Kyrie got, you know, injured. I don't know how long it'll be, but gives him more opportunity to play. And the thing with him, he can play the one, two or three because of his size. And I like what he does with Luca. I see, you know, Luca give him the ball and encouraging him to like be aggressive. And, you know, for you to, for him to play and play like himself, he's got to, you know, get the blessing, so to say, from the best player. And I think Luca gives him that. And yeah, he will only continue to play well and be effective as long as he stays healthy. That's been the, the case for him his whole career. You hit it right on the head. I agree with your assessment. I do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, By the way, we had a question to Eric from, uh, I would say, secret BN Plus uh, member who wanted to, to stay uh, anonymous. Uh, does Vernon Carey remind you a bit of Devin Booker? Devin Booker from Bayern Munich, not from Phoenix Suns. And again, for the record, Carey is a, a rookie in Europe, averaging 17 points, 7.3 rebounds, 2.3 block shots in four BCL games, and also... 14 points, 6.2 rebounds, 1.2 blocks in Turkey. He previously he appeared in 37 NBA games for Charlotte and Washington. So it's, he's on a promising rookie season, I would oh, say. Oh man, he's special. Uh, he doesn't even know how good he can be. I mean, he can shoot the three, great mid-range shot, playing the short role, great passer, freak athlete, good size. I'm talking, talking about legit 6'10", um, strong body, finished left or right hand. You can play him in the post. You can play him on the perimeter. He can face up. I mean, he blocks shots. I mean, he literally does everything. I think um, he's more athletic, which is tough because Devin Booker is a great athlete, but he's more athletic um, than him. I think Devin Booker has a better motor, um, but very um, similar skill sets. I think um, the ability to pass, the intangibles they bring. You know, when you're talking about a guy averaging 17 and 7, usually he doesn't come with intangibles, but this is a guy who can pass, who can erase shots at the rim, um, once he learns the angles of screening, how to change the screen, how to use his body, um, all those type of things, I think the sky is the limit. But, 
you know, I think people might want to enjoy him now because he might be in the NBA next year. Um, so if you got a chance, tune in, watch some Champions League games, watch Karshi out there because, I mean, what he's doing, you can just tell, like, he's just the guy who just jumps off at the screen at you. Um, and I'm certain he'll be on the EuroLeague team or NBA next year. Like, it's just too gifted, too much ability. Um, you know, there's just somebody that God is extremely blessed. <laughs> That's the best way to explain it. He was he was for sure one of the guys when I was in the G League that I was like, oh yeah, this guy, he has something. He's got a chance to play. I thought he I thought he was gonna get an NBA deal last season as well, but I'm glad that he embraced this and he's sounds like he's coming here the right way, and I wish him nothing but the best. I see I see his highlights. I see what he's doing and. Yeah, you got to keep doing that for sure. And my question to both of you, did you follow NBA in-season tournaments, at least the final stages? Uh, did you like the idea? Do you think it improved the excitement of the mid-season, of the regular season? Absolutely. I thought it did. I thought it was great. Um, I feel like the regular season, especially around this time, needs something. You know, you get certain games that always, like, you know, brings a crowd, it brings a reaction. Um, and it needed something. And this was definitely that. I feel like they will do a good job of looking at what worked and improving it for next season. I think that's what excites me the most about it. $500,000 is is a lot of money to a lot of people. And yeah, I love the energy that I saw out there. And I'm sure some guys had some fun in Vegas too. So. <laughs> Yeah, it brought a different excitement, um, a different level of energy, a playoff atmosphere, and just always great when you can see guys playing in elimination games on the highest stage. So, you know, for me, it was a joy to to see them do and implement and to give the fans something to cheer about and celebrate, you know, through the course of a long, grueling regular season. So I, I love the idea. Did CJ like in-season tournament experience because he made the semifinals, he made it to, to, to Vegas? Yeah, he was. He liked it. He's familiar with the cup styles just from watching my games throughout my course of my career. And he liked that it added new intrigue, um, another way to help the league, because he's looking at it from both sides as the president and as a player. You know, helps with revenue, helps with the future of the game. Mm. Um, also put an extra 100000 in his pocket, you know, made it to the semifinals. You know, if they had won against the Lakers, you know, could have been different, you know, but, um, you know, he enjoyed it. And anytime you're playing on a high stakes game, you know, TV games, all those type of things, it's always fun for guys. And especially for young players, they have a young team, you know, can help a lot of people financially, but also put people in a position to where, you know, they can kind of make a name for themselves for those guys who aren't yet established. I see. So guys, I want to finish this off with another Dishkonia member who deserves recognition. It's my guy, Tadas Dekerskis. Um, I mean, he's having a great season, a career year, a top rebounder in the EuroLeague with 8.4 rebounds per game. He's ranked 11th by efficiency in the EuroLeague, 17.8. And these numbers are, are not going to drop because he's Dushko's guy. So, Chima, do you have any funny stories to share uh, about Tadas? I think the stories that, I was, that come to mind when I think about him is just toughness. Um, how tough he is. I think he came into the season actually after playing with Lithuania with some sort of wrist injury. And I remember like telling him like, yo, you know, your body is your temple, like take care of that. Like, and like, he just didn't listen. Like he wanted to play, he wanted to be out there. And, you know, he was 
heavily taped up with, you know, he taped his wrist heavily and he was given his all every single day. But then another, we played Olympiacos and that was Dushko's second or third game, something like that. And in the fourth quarter, I remember I got fouled. This was towards the end of the game. I got fouled and I was on the floor and he comes to pick me up and he says, stay down, don't rush. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, don't rush, don't rush, I'm cramping. I said, <laughs> I said, oh, okay, I got you. So like I stayed on the ground a little bit and I walked slowly to the line. I'm like, hey, stretch that out because we need you to finish this game. And You know, yeah, he's definitely Dushko's guy. He plays the most minutes on the team since Dushko got here, so we need him. And, you know, he's brought a lot to the team. And yeah, we just, we need him to stay healthy. But he's he's a warrior, he's tough, and um, you know he wants to help the team in as many ways as possible, for sure. Hey guys, it's been a pleasure uh, to hear your basketball knowledge, to watch basketball through your eyes. So thanks a lot for this entertaining and quality conversation. That's been a pleasure, really. Thank you for having me. Always Definitely. a pleasure. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you for having me. I've I've watched a lot of these. A lot of these. That's why I know whenever you don't mention me. Conversations. <laughs> But now it's changed. I'm not Monica. I'm Moneke. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Stay tuned. Basconia's in the playoffs, baby. <laughs> Go Bass. <laughs>